Right, so that's now recording and that's picking up. Uh, I think this is still picking up and you can still hear me. Mm. Nice. Yes, I can still hear you. I'm also on the recording. Amazing. We have successfully done the bare minimum. (laughs) (laughs) We've achieved the least possible. Exactly. We've, We've found how to make sound be recorded. And from there, magic springs forth. Hi, Gregory. Hi, Thomas. How are you? You were asking people, what is your opinion of the actor Nicholas Cage? C-A-G-E-F-I-G-A-G. Don't be looking at her too hard now. This is a very different and weird question. Oh, my God. I really like how he doesn't seem to give a fuck what anyone thinks about him. This is Cage Fight! And I think that's kind of badass. Welcome to Cage Fight. I'm gonna drink me a beer. Hello, everybody. We are back with Cage Fight, and no, I believe it is you that is a few days late with this upload. Not us at all. We're fine. Mm. We're doing everything. We will be speaking at an altitude of two Cage films. <laughs> I'm doing pilot voice. You've you've sunk into pilot voice again. <laughs> I asked you not to do that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Don't you dare! Don't you dare try to sneak that into the podcast again. I won't try to do that anymore. This is, <laughs> but no, it's it's relevant, isn't it? But my name is Greg. Yes, Aikman. it's very relevant. Who are you? Who are you? Tell the people who you are. Tell I'm them. Thomas Beeman. That's all you need to know. And that is an alarm to let him know that the podcast is about to start. <laughs> no, that's, that's the alarm to let all you people listening know that shit's about to get real, yo. Oh, shit. That's the get shit real alarm, baby. <laughs> it's not just a painfully unprofessional way of doing this. Uh, no, it's all good. It's about to start. What do we do here? Because we know that you're, we know that you're Thomas Beeman. We know I'm Gregory Eggman. We mm. know that you're um, a hero amongst men, and we know that we know that the podcasts come out precisely when we want them to. E- exactly, exactly. And not a moment later. I mean, okay. if you're hey. looking at your calendar and going like, "Hey, did this not supposed to? Was this not supposed to come out last week?" <laughs> Listen, right. Firstly, it might be a leap year. You don't know. Um, and secondly, I've been jumping between countries, which sometimes slows down. <laughs> yes, guys. Gregory is jet setting across the globe. Exactly. Okay, so, like, give him a break. Yeah, you pricks. Like, and also, all you people complaining, oh, oh, it was lovely to see all of our socials flooded with you saying, hey, where's the episode? No one gave a shit. Not even. Excellent. I thought they were our friends, but the eternal cauldron of emotions, they they didn't say anything to us, did they? Mm. I, well, now we know who our friends are. Yeah, and I, I, for one, am upset with them. So they are going to join the list of, the long list of our they enemies. The, the naughty podcast list. Naughty podcast, dirty podcast, internal cauldron <laughs> of dirty emotions. That's you. <laughs> Silly, dirty emotions over there. Stupid, dirty, dirty podcasters. <laughs> so when we're not criticizing everyone else for something that was completely our fault, mm-hmm. we are instead watching two 
Nicolas Cage films. Yes. And we're kind of like examining them and comparing them. And hopefully in some way it'll be funny. Yeah, hope, hopefully it's... Well, well, we'll do our best to put a smile on your face. Like, we want you to enjoy this. We want you to learn from this. We want you, like us, to care about these movies in a sort of moderate way with a little sort of, huh, yeah, that was a nice observation. Wry humour. <laughs> wry humour from the boys. We don't want you to laugh. We just want you to smirk. That's the plan. <laughs> exactly. We... We want you to be on public transport listening to this, not disturbing any of your fellow passengers. Yeah. Unlike the other podcasts, we don't look to extrude extreme emotions out of you, like joy. Exactly, exactly. That's not a, You see, we, we've got lives outside of this show. We have all of our emotional needs met by other sort of things, like booze. So we don't need your approval. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting angry again. Listen, you fucking idiots who listen. We don't need or want your approval. In fact, just just fuck off. Stop listening. We don't yeah, want you. Just go. Get out of here. Right. We've alienated a lot of them, Tom. So to so any- now we can continue. So the ones that are left, yeah. you're the real ones. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we love- just want you to know that we make this podcast for you. Yeah. The ones who stay after we emotionally <laughs> abuse them. <laughs> You're the ones we want around. Exactly. After after we verbally punch you in the face, the ones who come come on, come on, come close, come close. It's just us. It's just it's just us two and you lot, right? We don't need those other people and you don't need those other people because you've got mm-hmm. us and we didn't mean to get angry at you. Our emotions, you know. We've yeah, just, it won't happen again. It, no, we've changed. This time we have changed. Yeah. What films are we doing this time? So we are doing, kind of bearing the lead, honestly, because we are doing Con Air versus Face Off, two incredibly Nick Cage films. We're doing Con Air versus Face Off 2? Yes. Wow! We'll get on to sequels because there's chat about sequels for both of these films. But yeah, we're doing these two films. This is basically, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, makes sense that you would go like, I want to hear them talk about those two. Because these are wonderful films. Mm. And these I, are the big ones. I finished watching Con Air for like the billionth time, about 30 minutes before recording this. Nice. The, that shit I is watched it weeks ago yeah and then i woke up today and was like i'll watch it again to refresh my memory (laughs) uh and then i was like oh yeah i had to pay four dollars to rent this i'm not doing that again fuck it yeah i i almost (laughs) spent four dollars to rent it and then thought it's four dollars to rent it or four dollars fifty to buy it so Mm. i bought it would you believe that face off is like 14.99 to buy really yeah. Why is it so expensive? Who's it's spending fourteen ninety nine on fucking face off? People are doing it. It's coming back. It's coming back. Really? Is we're in a sort of golden age of cage, aren't we? Like we are in a golden age of cage. Because si- which si- if if that's not the name of this, if that's not the title of this podcast, oh the uh, episode. Then I'll be upset. This episode, uh, we're going against convention. All the other episodes are called, like, this film versus this film. But this one is simply going to be called The Golden Age of Cage. 
but, and we're living in a timeline, probably the best timeline, where Nicolas Cage is like being much more open mm. and uh, about like his past projects and how he feels about them. So we've got like a litany of like knowledge uh, and interviews uh, because he's actually like kind of making a recurrence. Like there's he's in like a ton of new movies now. Yeah. Like, um, and like promising ones, right? Like not just the straight to DVD massacres that uh, kind of plagued us in like the late two thousands. Um, well, because like he's he's attached to some pretty exciting projects. We we were always hoping for this, and it's just coming to fruition. Like he paid off all his debts, and now he can just do what he wants. And it turns out what mm. he wants to do is really really exciting, silly, fun films. Mm. Very silly, very fun stuff, which I feel like that's the core of like what he used to do and why we why we're doing the podcast now is yeah. like his older stuff is just very experimental and he's being very experimental in them. And yeah, we're we're about to hit well, we haven't done too many of the bad ones, right? Like there's no. there's been a few. There's been a couple that were just very boring. Um, but most but, of them have been like a couple of them have been like good films, but just not for us for what for whatever reason. Yeah. But yeah, like he he's not without his big shite films. However, yeah, yeah most of them are, are fine. And now, like you say, like I think with Pig and Mandy, we knew that this this man's just mm. doing what he wants in a very positive. I feel like that was such a lightsaber like thrown to us yes this podcast because oh, it was god like, yeah yeah we were expecting loads of just hard to get through stuff mm. and then it was like oh pig and mandy like oh shit there's like light at the end of the tunnel like, yes we're gonna get somewhere with this which is why we gave ourselves a nice break this time by having uh, two easy-to-love movies. Very easy to enjoy, yeah. Do you want to start with Face Off or Conair? I I'm ready to go for Face Off. Face Off, as a movie, is not complicated in, <laughs> uh, in a plot sense or anything. Like, yeah. it, it's kind of... Wow, it's really hard to like staple on like what this film is, but I'll start off by saying this is a John Woo film, mm. which I did not know actually going into this. Oh, really? Um, Were you not tipped off by the slow motion doves and two guns? Yeah, <laughs> so many. As soon as two guns and doves were happening, I was like, "Oh shit, this is John Woo." Mm. How how do I describe? It is a. It really is the pinnacle of our like a roller coaster film. Yeah, you know when people bring up that. People toss around that a lot, but this is really it. Like it, it really goes so many different areas and places. If you haven't seen this movie, I think like, as opposed to all, all of our past podcasts, where I'd say I'm just going to tell you what happened, mm. uh, you should actually stop and watch the movie. Yeah, and it's only like, like hour and a half. Yeah, it's such an easy get through. You won't, you won't really notice the time passing at all. So for those of you who haven't seen it, please go watch it now. Have you will watch the film? You will watch the film now. Have you will watch the film? You will watch the film now. Have you will watch the film? You will watch the film now. It's it's got so many terrible moments in it. Yes. Um, but the highs are so high, and there's no real good way to pick it apart other than to be like face touching. 
Mm. Right? Oh, God. That's, we'll start at face touching. There's so much face touching in this movie that I have to believe that it was, like, directed for face touching. Like, oh, it must have been. Said, no one's touching that many faces that frequently mm-hmm. just of their own volition. Like, they touching were told. their own face, mm-hmm. touching other people's faces, there's just too much of it. Right? Did, like, this was in the script at some point in time. I, I feel like it was in there. Do you think John Woo was a bit worried that people might not have picked up on the subtle symbolism of this movie? Like, so, like, we're, we're about faces, but face that in many ways represents an identity. And are we hiding behind this face? Mm. Is a face a mask in many ways? Like, if you change your face, are you changing your personality? Like, do you think they were going, like, they're never going to yep. pick up on that? We need to, first of all, we need to call it face off, which is is fun because it's like taking face off mm. and it's like two people fighting each other and mm-hmm. sport as well, I imagine. But also, right, right, uh, if they don't touch faces, people might forget that the face is, in a way, a mask. But it is your personality. Are you true to yourself if you can't hide behind your face anymore? Or is it more mm. of a hiding? Who knows what's going on? Exactly that. Like, I truly do believe that there was some sort of, like, we're worried that the audience is too dumb to get it. Mm. And we need to, like, implement something, some... uh film language to this to like help people guide people because like by the way it, it like does not touch on identity at all like what what it means to be you like the characters don't really struggle at all mm. i think with being the other person and sort of losing themselves to each other so that doesn't matter which always baffled me, like because you've got it right there. They could, they mm. if they started losing them. Although in a way, like um, when Nick Cage goes or turns into John Travolta, he sort of almost becomes like a family. Like the upsetting mm-hmm. thing yeah, is, he, he's a better family man than John Travolta. Yeah, he's like fatherly in a very like a bad way, but yeah, he's like he kind of meets. John Travolta's daughter, like, on her level, right? Mm. There, there's a whole, I don't like the scenes with her, yeah. uh, but he actually does engage with her, gives her gives her smoke, like, engages on her level, and, like, really, like, hey, I get it, like, pff, fucking these squares, you're living in a suburb? Yeah. Ugh, gil- <laughs> ugh, disgusting. I mean, I will give it to him, like, dragging the boyfriend out of the car and beating him senseless it was like, oh shit, like, he's got, how does he have this moral compass? Like, where is it coming from? Well, I I couldn't decide, like, is that him uh, reacting in the way he understands you should react, but based out of compassion, love, and a protective streak? Or is that him just seeing an excuse to be able to be gangstery, batter shit out of someone? Like, is the yeah. potential assault an excuse for him to do that, or is it a protective reaction to it? I, I well, honestly even, don't know. Like, another layer to that, is that what he thinks? Yes. That he should do in this situation if he was John Travolta. Yeah, it gets super complicated, and um, I, I think there is some level of depth there that you could talk about in particular scenes, but I I gotta be honest, like, I just don't believe that anything is more than face value. Yeah, uh, I've yeah. Said I said it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. You don't, yeah, don't you I apologize. I like John Woo a lot, but it 
he is one of yeah. the most boy film directors there is. And that's what you're getting in this film. Mm. Like, make no mistake, what you're getting is in this film is more guns and doves and shooting. And yeah. that's what you're here for. That's why he's providing to you. There's not going to be anything else. Okay. Which is perfectly fine. Because mm. what is on offer is what you're getting. And it is very enjoyable to watch. Like... It truly goes bonkers. He does a lot of crazy stuff with like a jet engine, weird, <laughs> just weird and nuts scenes. Like, and it's very enjoyable. And the characters do make it worthwhile. The prison scene. Okay, so there's a prison. Uh, like John Travolta changes into. By the way, in case you ignored my offer to watch the movie, yeah. Here we go. Two people. One of them's good. One's bad. Uh, they've been hunting each other forever. The bad guy shot the good guy's son. They change faces because reasons, and then they're <laughs> fighting each other throughout the movie because of a bomb. All right, there you go. That's the movie. <laughs> so there's a scene where John Travolta's character, as Nicolas Cage, goes into prison. <laughs> this is really hard yeah. to talk about. Uh, <laughs> as Nicolas Cage goes to prison, he's stuck in prison. Everyone has magnet shoes. And these yeah. shoes look like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Mario Brothers movie, yes. but the shoes look exactly like the jump boots that were in the Mario's movie. <laughs> and just a little thing I thought of while watching this. And I think that is incredibly bizarre yeah. for this film, right? That seems like, oh, I didn't know we were going to get science fiction out of this. Well, I guess with the whole face changing thing, I, I, but that seems a little more in the realm, right? Like that feels that doesn't remove me the the same level that magnet boots in a prison does. Really? That's your line. So Yeah, like, I know. It's weird. A it, but face yeah, transplant the face thing. is is fine yeah. and that's just like, well it's a movie and I reckon we can probably already do it, but the goddamn government are keeping it from us. Yeah. But magnet shoes which are which must must be a thing. And they can dial like the intensity of the of, of the, the magnets too. Yeah, that seems unnecessary. Surely it, all you yeah. need is on and off and make sure that the magnets are, you know, very strong. And I want to like point out like the film sets this up. It's not really that relevant. Like the whole prison could have just been a regular prison. Yeah. But for some reason they were like, oh, it's got to have magnet boots in it. Just well, I'm always, I've always been disappointed that they didn't have a, because, um, uh, what's, what's Troy's brother called? What, anyway, you know, the genius, uh, weird brother who's also in prison. Castro Troy's brother is like a a genius and he gets caught. Yeah. Pollux. That's why. Pollux. Pollux, Troy. Yeah. And that's why he's in prison as Nicolas Cage to begin with, as Castro Troy is ordered to get info out of the, with the bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would have thought that at some point, uh, Pollux Troy would have got into the systems of the magnetic boots and reversed the polarity so they could use the boots to just leap over fences. Oh, shit, yeah. That would have been really cool. That would have been great. Or sort of essentially That would have made magnet boots relevant. Yeah. You know? Outside of it just being something that's there. I mean, it was pretty cool having magnet boots. I will give you that. It absolutely was a cool thing to have. And I'll agree, like... To the extent that it wasn't focused on too heavily, anyways, it was just yeah, it was just present in the film. Like I, it, 
you know, it, but it's a weird thing to just have present. But you know, I imagine there was a writers' room at some point where they were just going, "Okay, well, why doesn't this person just run over and punch the guard?" It's like, uh, probably uh, magnet boots. Right, we'll have that as a backup. That's in our back pocket if we <sighs> right. think of nothing else. <laughs> and then they just That's, forget what they were doing. What, and- what would the world's like? most hidden, most dangerous <laughs> criminal's prison look like? Well, it's going to be under an oil rig that's been shut off, and it's got to have magnet boots, man. I mean, Sniffs another line of coke. <laughs> that's that's where a lot of these ideas come from, don't they? It's three in the I imagine so. Three in the morning, and someone just goes, Magnets! Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you it's seen the, the weird shit magnets do? But, it, uh, but it's a great prison. It's a great looking prison. It looks all industrial mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it looks like a Nine Inch Nails vid- music video. It's great. It does. Yeah. It is It is pretty fantastic. And a lot of fun stuff happen that happens in there to John Travolta's character. Mm. Like he sort of like on the fly has to like embrace the personality of Caster Troy. Mm. Once he realizes that, like he's stuck in the prison, like he's essentially uh Caster Troy has become Nicholas. Yeah. Ca- oh God. Caster Troy has become John Travolta yes. in IRL and is now taking over his position in the FBI. See, I, I don't give a fuck. It must've and- been quite a fun acting challenge for John Travolta and Nicholas Cage where they had to be, they both had to do hardcore Nicholas Caging. By being all mm-hmm. wacky. And they had to be really sort of yep. straight laced and stoic and all of that. Like and yeah. and just jumping between it. Must it must have been quite fun. Because I imagine even Nicolas Cage would get a bit tired every now and then by giving another acting role. So, so I've got to just go woo wee and shout for two <laughs> hours. Yeah, mate. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what you're doing. Alright, fair enough. Let's go with it. Yeah. I'll give it to you because, like, you have to think about it, or at least I think you have to think about it. Like, you gotta be this other character while also suppressing yourself, mm. and yeah. that has to come through somehow, right? Like, that yeah. has to translate in your acting. God, that's gotta be fucking difficult. It's like I forgot the actor who mentioned this, but if you're gonna play drunk, you don't try to be drunk. You're you're trying to you're being drunk while hiding that you're drunk, right? Yeah. So, like, that's how you do it, because drunks hide their slurs and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, we, we try to. <laughs> we attempt it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you have, so that's what you do when you try to act drunk. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's got to be one of the most difficult things had to be, uh, these two positions in this movie. Like, uh, I can't imagine how they, I I think they did it. What do you think? Do you, th- you think I they think, did it? I think they did a good job. I think um, it's it's still very very sort of uh, sort of bubblegum. Like it it never forgets True. that it's whilst there's room for it to be a really highfalutin fancy pants movie exploring all kinds of themes of identity and that it always remembers like no but people are here to see two guns like they they don't mm-hmm. want they don't want sort of like existential dread they want mm-hmm. no more drugs for that guy like they that that's what people are and it never <laughs> yeah it's a wonderful thing about face off and connor like the biggest compliment you can give to either of these films is they never forget what they are and mm-hmm. they they stick sure. they stick to that like 
fucking glue. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I, when they put John Woo like, yeah. on the title, like he knows what people are coming for. He really does give it to him. He does. He does. And there's no there's no shame in that. In fact, there's yeah. although I watched Face Off and throughout all of it, what I couldn't get past, and this might just be me, but <laughs> imagine if instead of John Travolta, right, Christian uh. Slater. Mid nineties Christian Slater. Mid nineties, yes, exactly. Mid nineties Christian Slater was like that was some grade A Slater. Yeah, wouldn't that have been awesome? Because that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, it would have implied a dark edge, regardless of what Christian Slater does. Which usually, let's be fair, what he does is his very best Jack Nicholson impression. But mm-hmm. he would have been sort of like implying a darkness to the character that doesn't have to be there. Like, and the mm-hmm. darkness would come from failing as a father. One thing I want to talk about is John Travolta's character. Yeah, go on. I, I think out of everything, the best part about the movie, secret, secret best part about the movie, mm. is how his character starts off as like very, like a very aggressive law enforcement agent, right? Like, he's going to get the man no matter what. And this extends to the people that Castro Troy knows. So much so, a, a woman who later we find out uh, had his kid, right? Mm. And he so he starts there. And throughout the movie, becoming Castro Troy actually, like, changes him. Because he, he interacts with Castro's, you know, friends and family and finds out he has a child. And he's kind of like made to realize like these are people like he's humanizing uh these these people when before he would not like if they're criminals they get what they deserve essentially Uh, he'll treat them whatever way he's got to to get the answer yes but yeah like as the movie progresses like you see a a a slight turn in him to the point where he's like he tells the um the mother of Castro Story's Trump, like, I'll, I'll do whatever. Like, you don't need to worry about your involvement in this. I will do whatever to make sure that you're protected. Which is crazy. Like, that's a really cool arc to have in a character. And I think it's the only one, really. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fun arc, but it always seems a bit offensive when it's like, oh, you had to go through face-swapping mm-hmm. surgery to realize that people are three-dimensional. And mm. and you may disagree with someone or they may do bad things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only defining part of them. Like, it always seems... Wh- yeah. It's like any Adam Sandler film when you're watching... <laughs> a, but I didn't need all that shit to learn this lesson. I learned that lesson uh-huh. as a child. Turns, Naturally, yes. Yeah. Ter- ter- turns out, after I've been through an hour and a half of shenanigans and nonsense... Other people have feelings, and I should think about that occasionally. Oh, have you just learned mm. that as a grown-ass adult? Jesus. <laughs> He's definitely, like, super problematic about his relationship with uh, <laughs> the criminals. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think on, like, one end, it's kind of set up properly in mm. a sense that, like, his, you know, Castro Troy killed his son. Yeah. And that's enough for him to, like, villainize him and anyone he's associated with to that extent i right? suppose it would be it would be quite quite a big ask wouldn't it so like that person yeah. who murdered your son right yeah go on give them a cuddle they're not that bad <laughs> so yeah it, it it makes i feel like it's it, it makes a decent amount of sense yeah and i i do say 
I do want to point out that is the floor. <laughs> that is the floor <laughs> of this. It makes a decent amount of sense and it carries nicely and it has like a very nice conclusion mm. where at the end, like he he essentially adopts Castor's son because the mother dies and Castor dies. Yeah, which is um, which is only fair, I reckon. As John mm-hmm. Travolta essentially murdered this child's family. <laughs> Basically. He owns it um, now. But, is it, but so, did you it enjoy cool. it? Did you enjoy the film? Like absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's it's hard to talk about action films because it's all in the presentation, yeah. and uh, it's not fun describing those scenes. Yeah, but th- they are incredibly enjoyable to watch. Like I, I just love that shit. I've always loved. That. I'm a child of the '90s. Mm-hmm. I was born into action films, so like it's always something that touches to to me it's always will be enjoyable so yeah i absolutely loved it so many things so many small things to enjoy about it also mm. like you could watch the film repeatedly yes like, I, like, I truly believe that like i have i've watched it god knows how many times i've watched it over the years yeah. but yeah if it wasn't 4.99 again i would have watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess we should really talk about his performance in this because yeah. he was excellently bad yes he was phenomenal with his mm-hmm. outrageous over the topness but then yeah, that's just what the as, character called for wasn't it mm-hmm, like, even- absolutely like i don't know if they talk about it much in the film at the start mm. but there was a um what do you, what do you call those things trailers <laughs> God, yeah that's it a trailer I'm getting old a, a trailer is <laughs> the word brain, you're after <laughs> my brain is rotting from the inside <laughs> i am dying uh so the trailer it gets into uh it's actually like a really good trailer you should definitely look it up on youtube but okay. it talks about how castor troy is like a essentially like a world terrorist like he takes down uh leaders of governments and shit like that like it's insane so he lives up to that mm. in the film you see with films like that with characters like castor troy what i'd like is a prequel where you're just watching Castor Troy do some of his crimes, do some of his taking down world leaders, with no one chasing him, so there's no consequence. We don't worry about that. That happens in the sequel in Face Off. It'll be great. But wouldn't that be great? Just because these... This happens in action films all the time, where the baddie is like some international terrorist who has destroyed everything, Mm. and then they're taken out by some bell-end in a T-shirt... With only half a clip in their gun and an improvised sock puppet. Like, uh. they never seem that much of a threat. Even in films like, oh, I don't watch James Bond. I was going to go into an analogy with James Bond, but I would come unstuck quickly. But, like, as soon as they go, like, his international thing has been is, is wiped out millions and millions of very influential people. It's like, well, how? I'm just seeing someone yeah. who's who's a baddie and an unpleasant, but they don't seem particularly good at their job of being a villain. Mm-hmm. So I'd love I'd love that. I'd Honestly, I have watched James Bond's films. And okay, <clears throat> I think you're on the nose that a lot of these guys don't have that kind of presence. Mm. All of these films demand a prequel, which is just watching the baddies in their in their height, like mm. when they're brilliant and wow on it. Oh my god, Greg, I think you're really on to something. That would be fucking so tight. Yeah, imagine like... a Spectre film. Uh, Je- mm-hmm. Oh god, James Bond. Um, Spectre, they're the baddies. <laughs> imagine a film where they just succeed in all those things. Because they got all that wealth yeah. and power Like somehow. Affinity War Part 1, essentially, where 
Like Thanos is just fucking wrecking people and he's getting exactly what he wants. He's winning and winning in the worst way. And you'll learn a lot about the character. And then in the next film, you know, yeah, then you, you can, can set have up the win. Happy end Infinity War. That is a Marvel one, isn't it? All the Thanos and that. Yes, sir. Sweet, cool. Uh, again, not not anti these films at all, just entirely ignorant of them. <laughs> do, like, do not at Greg at all. I will fucking come after you if you talk to Greg yeah. about this. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I've, I'm i sure they're lovely, and I imagine if I watched a couple of the Marvel films, I'd go, these are brilliant. These are going to be a big hit. I don't know why people aren't talking about them. <laughs> but I, it's, it's too late and now. What, there's like 30 films or something? I can't commit to that. I've got... It's a lot. Yeah, I've it's got a lot. I've got like six seasons of the Gilmore Girls to watch again. So I, I and the rest of Nicolas Cage films. Oh, I've got a hundred, <laughs> like almost two hundred so fucking many. average and action films. And he keeps films. doing them. Yeah, slow down, <laughs> Nikki C. Good oh, Christ! God. And they just keep on looking good. It's not even like he mm, keeps on churning yes. out bullshit. He keeps on churning out like solid gold yeah. performances. I'm legitimately excited for whatever a24 film he's working on mm. and renfield yeah yeah it's it's gonna be spectacular because oh, renfield's also got him from off of uh skins in it and i liked skins yes, when that came that out. gentleman yeah mm-hmm. and he's really good he's great he was in um yeah, thingy with the fantastic. cars and the vroom. yeah max max paid max Payne. <laughs> max Payne. fury max Payne. fury <laughs> <laughs> Can Nicolas Cage do a remake of a Max Payne movie, please? That would be great, please. Ooh, he would be a really good bad guy. He would, in a, he would be in a, a great bad guy in a Max Payne film. Oh, he'd be perfect. Just get um, old um, racist Wahlberg. Like, get, <laughs> get him not being Max Payne because, come on. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Get, like, yeah. I don't know, Idris Elba or something being Max Payne. That would be dope. Like, that would be very dope. Idris Alva, Max Payne, and Nicolas Cage as whoever the enemy is in this particular film. And Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Just have them in the <laughs> film as well. Charlie's Angels? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck but, it. Right, uh, let's move on to Conair, because... Uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm saving one thing about Face Off to the end, because I want... Because we know that they're planning sequels to Face Off. Connor, everyone's seen it, so I don't won't go into too much detail about the plot. Basically, Nicolas Cage is an army hero, and he accidentally murders someone. But because he's an army man, he's classed as a deadly weapon, so he goes to jail for about seven years. <clears throat> when he's coming out of jail, he, he will, he's excited, he'll see his wife again, yay, and he'll meet his daughter who he's never met, because who wants their daughter to first meet them in jail? No one. They go on a plane to go and fly him to freedom, but also on this plane is a ridiculously stellar cast of actors mm. who are all the worst of the worst. Criminal upon criminal. Steve Buscemi is some sort of like Hannibal Lecter-style psychopathic mm. child murderer potentially, and John Malkovich is there just getting angry because they kept on changing the script over and over and making him furious. Ving Rhames is in it just mm. being... Ving Rhames and like other people whose names escape me. Oh, him from off of every film that needs a uh, Mexican gangster. What's his name? With the chest tattoo of like. Oh my god! I you know I who I mean? His face. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, whoever's listening to this is screaming his name at their oh, We're so... We're gonna get in so much trouble. Yeah, but him, he's in it. But anyway, yeah, and uh, it all goes awry. The prisoners take over the plane, so Nick Cage goes, I'm gonna stick around. Oh, Dave Chappelle's in it as well. Uh, I'm gonna stick That's right, yeah, Dave Chappelle's in it. Dave Chappelle's in it as comic relief. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> All of that happens. Nicolas Cage saves the day, and then everything's fine, right? So it's just standard mm. film, but it's really silly. I think one of the main reasons this film is so good, and it is so good. Firstly, it never forgets that it's a brain-dead action film, and brain-dead action mm. film it is. But also, there must have been a meeting between John Malkovich, Ving Rhames, uh, John Cusack, fucking Steve Buscemi, all mm. these people who said, should we just, just for a laugh... Should we just do this absolutely atrocious, stupid film? So, oh, but we are all wonderful actors of stage and screen. We we do roles which elevate uh, the mm. arts to, to the state of art. It's no longer entertainment when it's in our hands. We do things which are challenging, which are exciting, and which aren't always accessible. And it's like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do like a... Joel Schumacher, it's not Joel Schumacher, but, you know, that sort of film. Brain-dead action film with a script which is atrocious. The script is not good. It's made of cliches, exclusively Mm. written, like, one-liners. Not good one-liners, but they had a group of action movie one-liners, and they went, can we string these together somehow? Yeah, fuck it, let's give it a go. And the film works because it's a mess. It's a beautiful, beautiful mess. The plot is stupid and riddled with nonsensical plot holes. They hint at storylines which would be much more exciting than the story it is. Steve Buscemi's character, for example, he is depicted as a psychopathic child murderer, one of the most dangerous serial killers in the world. And when he's brought on the plane, he's got, like, the Hannibal Lecter mask on and his hands are all, like, like a delightful little seal and he's walked on with big sticks put into a cage and all of that and then later on he just wanders off meets a young child who's playing mm. with trash in an abandoned swimming pool for some reason sings a just song a with, scene. it's very sad and you would have thought is this in his imagination for some reason until that mm. girl that little girl waves at the plane later on with no one around implying that she's real and then later on steve buscemi at the end of the film is like hey we've got a new shooter in vegas do you feel lucky yes i feel lucky implying some sort of reden- redemptive arc to this guy and it's, his story is more interesting than any other part of the film and they don't get they hint that there's a story there but they don't do anything mm. like why didn't he murder the child that implies perhaps Perhaps his mentalness isn't like a murdering spree, but he perhaps just admitted guilt to all these crimes that he didn't do. So maybe he's wrongfully imprisoned and it's a sort of nod towards the American criminal justice system. Or maybe this girl somehow was God and inspired in him an ability and a desire to change and move forward. Or maybe he just didn't kill her because he didn't get the chance, but he really wanted to wear her face on his face. Like, or maybe, like, when he gets to Vegas, he he thinks, like, I've got a second idea. I am lucky. Maybe it's time to turn my life around. Or maybe Mm. he's just going to cause more crime. Or maybe he did nothing wrong at all. I want that story and it doesn't give it to you, which is annoying. And poor John Malkovich, he's a 
consumer actor and he got infuriated everyone got infuriated with this film he <laughs> he got infuriated because they were changing the script on the fly over and over which was fundamentally changing his character and changing so he couldn't he, he did a great performance with his vile mm. character but there was no consistency even whilst filming <laughs> Which must have been really frustrating. And John Cusack refused to speak about the film for many years after, mainly because he was scared he'd get typecast, because he didn't want to be the the uh, romantic hero, nor did he want to be an action film superstar. Uh, he mm. wanted to go on and do weird, exciting, interesting films, which, as we all know from John Cusack's phenomenal sort of uh, back catalogue, he has done that. He keeps on doing really exciting projects. And he and occasionally the hot tub movies, and he <laughs> occasionally the paycheck. Yeah, but you know <laughs> the hot tub movies. Gotta make money somehow. Considering Nick Cage isn't in any of the hot tub time machine movies, we have mentioned them on this podcast a surprising amount. Yeah, actually, it's kind of a through line in for the fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Nick Cage's character. I mean, hey, would you say it is fair, Thomas, if I described you as? From the southern states of America. Yes. I know you. Accurate. Yeah. As a southerner, Mm -hmm. you have an opinion, I assume, on southern accents. And if someone does a southern accent, you will probably. It's someone who doesn't naturally have that accent if they do it and they're trying to do it. They're not just having fun and being silly or whatever. If they're intentionally Mm. trying to copy your accent, presumably you listen to it and go, I think that is good. I think that is bad or whatever your opinion is. Right? Sure. Yeah. What did you think of Nicolas Cage's <laughs> southern accent that he actively went to Alabama and stayed there for a couple of weeks, hanging out in bars <laughs> to learn it and study people? Oh, that's It's crazy that he had to do that, because I, in my opinion, it's probably one of the easier accents to replicate. Mm. Um but first, I'll tell. I'll give you my opinion. First, I thought you were going to ask me: Is it true that every southern man is a deadly weapon? I was going to say yes. <laughs> well, I know that's the case. Come on, I've I've met a few southern men. I don't know. Like, it's really like an in between. Like, he doesn't lean on it too heavily, mm. which I think was the right idea. Yeah. Right, because I feel like a lot of people, uh, in a mock mockatory way like they'll lean into it really hard he doesn't go that hard which is great uh so i would say yeah i i like it like it's not natural in yeah anyway um it's it's certainly not natural but i think because he took a few steps back to not like go deep into it he made the right choice that makes sense i reckon because it's not a good accent mm-hmm. like yeah it's certainly not good He's not, like, I've got a lot of time for Nicolas Cage, as you know, but he's not one for accents, is he? Mm-mm, no. Which, no, um, he did that Louisiana accent yeah. in that movie, The Runner or whatever, and it was like, it was tough. It always amazes me that they keep on giving him roles that require him to do accents, because by now, you know, if you get Nicolas Cage to do your film, you know he's not going to do a good accent. So you get one where... Either the voice doesn't matter or the necessary accent is his native one. Because mm-hmm. why would you open up the possibility of him ruining your movie with a shitty accent? <laughs> I, but it's, I don't know, Conair is so, it, it is enjoyable from start to finish. I mean, there's a couple of bits which I would happily get rid of. Mainly the whole bit, like, at Lerner F. 
base uh, where they're like in the desert and doing all that. It just seems entirely unnecessary. Oh, trying to get the plane back up. Yeah, it just feels like I understand what they were going for, but it does feel dramatically like, okay, we finished the script. Oh, no, this is only an hour. Okay, what do we need to do? We just need to create 40 minutes. Okay. Let's well, uh, the plane goes down somewhere. Yeah, it, it seems entirely unnecessary. This is a film. I love the film, but mm. it it suffers. It's clearly written by committee. So with the Steve Buscemi character, which really winds me up, like it it seems <laughs> like they wrote so much t- more. Yeah. So with Steve Steve Buscemi's character, he's my favorite character in the whole movie. A great character. Yeah fucking phenomenal mm. i adore what they did with him uh, and the choices they made oh really because it's it's this like so throughout the whole film he is basically a looming threat mm. like uh, he whenever uh the camera's in shot of him whenever there's going on there's always like this tinge of threat of like what's this guy gonna do because we don't know mm. And then they get to, uh, I believe they touch down somewhere in Arizona or whatever. Yeah. And he finds the kid and you're like, oh, fuck, what's he going to fucking do to this kid? And But he doesn't do anything. Mm. And well, that we know of. And he gets back on the plane and then he gets in Las Vegas and it's like, oh, shit, what's he going to do? He's like fucking free. I, I love that about the film. Like, I love that, that you have this character who essentially does nothing mm. yet is like even the bad guys don't want to fuck with him. Yeah. They're terrified of him. But he turns out to be like a very, oh, I want to say almost jolly in yeah. demeanor, right? It, and that lends yet another air of threat like to him, right? In my opinion, I, I equate his role in the film like a uh, Voorhees in a horror movie, like a horror movie monster. Yeah. It's not good if you see it. Right. Like if you see all of it, if it's not obscured, mm. then it stops being threatening. Right. Yeah. So in my mind, it's like if he actually did anything, it would suck. <laughs> like it's it'll never be as good as what you're imagining in your head. Right. But what I'd have quite enjoyed if we're going to make him a violent, psychopathic uh, serial killer, what I would have enjoyed is if he's like everyone runs off the plane to do some action somewhere. And he's there and there's a couple of people in the cage. If it came back and there was just one less person, and it wasn't mentioned, but you could see like just a speck of blood on his shirt and that, but he's just sat down, quite placid, smiling away, and no one people like do a double take or something, but no one mentions it. If they just did it like that, so you didn't see it, you don't know how quick or slow or, or exactly what happened, but just if every now and then there was one less person there. Oh yeah, that would have okay, been I, fun. I can concede to that. That does sound yeah, very fun. Because I agree with you. Like, I mean, I mean, obviously, when I was watching it, I didn't want that little girl to get injured. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But I, I was confused as to why you include that scene, unless you, because it didn't see. Other than the undue, the the strong sense of threat that it gives, I didn't really under. Because that girl, I mean, she's not in a good way. Like, she's playing in an, mm-hmm. in an empty... She's very bad off. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what's going on with her? Like, what? it feels to me like there was a story there which they cut, I don't know, for timing or because sort of like they just went, no, we cannot do that. 
Like, but um, I, I'd like to. I'd like to see other other drafts of the script. I think that would yeah, be exciting. I, I would love to know exactly like what they had planned for that character, like through and through. Mm. But yeah, like I said, I I think it was implemented very well. I I, I think like oh, it it just I love just the idea of what he could have done. Right? It's just it just feels so it. So there in the scenes where he is with that girl, mm. there's a whole nother that that's like the B line yeah. of that sort of a because the A line is uh, the cops are coming and they have to like defend the thing and and also get the plane back up and running. Mm. Um, and so it, that those scenes feel so much more weighted and. Um, impactful than like the actual action scenes where people are getting shot and killed. Oh, right? the action scenes in that whole segment of the film just bore me. It, mm, it yeah. does this thing which loads and loads of action films do where it's like, okay, so we're going to have 20 minutes of chasing and fighting. Can we just, we know what's going to happen. They'll die, they'll die, they'll get injured, they'll be fine. Can we can just, just skip past mm. this? We don't need this chase scene. We need we need you to go like, oh no, let's chase. Ah, we got there first. Okay, you can you mm. can yada yada through that. A part of me believes like that scene with the girl was implemented just to keep interest going. Mm. Right? Because, yeah, I agree. It's like, it's basically like a shooting gallery from them. And then I think Vic Rames gets injured. And, and and that's really I think that someone else dies and then they all drag they all get into the plane on time and lift off and that's basically it like it's in my opinion it's a scene that the purpose was to sort of slow it is to slow down like you mentioned but I think it's also like to give a break yeah you know give us a little bit of a break uh I just think the break lasted too long right but like yeah I I just think like. Again, I want another film. This is the pro- all of these Nicolas Cage films. There, there needs to be a second film associated with it, with the bit I'm interested in. But apparently, they won't do that. I've no idea why. No, but the jerk. Well, I, I personally believe that there are many Gregs who would love that little snippet. Yeah, like, to, to get a little bit more out of like that. That would ultimately cause the whole film like enrich the entire film so like i don't i i don't think that's unjust to ask for i I mean you can ask for anything it's just i know it will be a resounding no in response (laughs) although here's something about fight club uh not fight club sorry about um face off and about (laughs) (laughs) i don't know we had to talk about like (laughs) oh i keep calling face off fight club it's I, so good. I don't know what it, it must just be the F, like because there's no there's Maybe, the word yeah. fight. It's not like fight off, is it? Like it's or mm-hmm. like face club, face club. That would be a great name for face off, face club, because they keep on stroking each other's face. If we ever make a Patreon, we'll call it face club, face club. That would be brilliant, right? So <laughs> with face off and with Conair, there are talks of sequels like talks that are going mm-hmm. into pre-production like into development i don't know how far along but people are reporting that it's an actual thing right mm-hmm. now i have read on someone's blog so it could it's likely going to be bullshit but i okay. want to believe it so it's a hundred percent accurate definitely true wonderful i mean con air 2 do you know anything about the plot of con air 2 
No. Do you know where it's set? No. Take a guess. You get one oh. shot at this. Con Air 2. Well, well, it's definitely, it has to be, I, I assume most of it's a plane. So is it, is it a plane uh, like that we should, oh shit, dude. Don't tell me it's 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me it's 9-11. Because that's not cool. <laughs> I'm like thinking in my brain, I'm like, that's like historically important planes. I'm like, oh, there's like Air Force One, but like that was several movies. Oh my God. I'm like, oh shit. Oh, that would be incredible. No, it's set in space. But but it being set in space is meaningless now because I want Connor 2, 9 11. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, Oh, Jesus. Well, we, um, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, who do we, who do we write to, to get that to happen? <laughs> I, don't I don't think we should. We'll be I put mean, on this. Uh, um, yeah. Who do we, who do we write to? I think the Navy SEALs have killed them. But, um, we could, <laughs> but if we, like, um, it's set in space, apparently. Oh, that's crazy. But that's all the information it gives. So. I know, that sounds cool. How he gets to space is. I, I imagine that maybe because it was Connor was written by the same person or directed by the same person who did um, Alien Three. So okay. maybe the Alien films and the Connor movies will be in the same universe. Was was that a good Alien? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed it, but again, it was a mess because it was uh, a great idea ruined by committee. Wait, that was the one in the prison, right? Yes. The prison in space. Oh, that was the one that people didn't like. <laughs> yeah, the prison in space. But imagine if Conair yeah. Two is a prequel mm. to Alien Three, where Nicolas Cage mm. sets up the space prison. Space prison to hold Castor Troy with his magnetic boots. With magnetic boots, yep. In space. In space. Well, I'm sold. Yeah, with with Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> with Chris Pratt. Yeah, and Crispin Glover. Plays all of the roles that Nicolas Cage doesn't. Nice. So, like, what what I will say overall, my my opinion on Conair is like, I I think it's wonderful. I think it's one of the more ingenious like concepts for a movie. Yeah. Right. I I I just it it, it take obviously the concept was very strong. It's like put a good dude in a plane with a bunch of bad dudes, yes. right? And the bad dudes take over. That's fucking great. Yeah, it's Die Hard in Jail, isn't it? It's Die Hard in Jail on a plane. Yeah. And I I think that's, oh, it's so good. And the movie obviously has to jump through a few hoops to get the guy where it needs to be and why. Like, mm. it's, it's pretty clear that a, a lot of situations are really drummed up. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> like yeah, it, it's hard to get, like, everything that moves the plot forward is clear that it's there to move the plot forward, right? Yeah. Like, it's situations that are very abnormal. But the concept is so, I think it's brilliant. I think it's very strong. And even though we don't get many good character arcs, mm. Um, because uh, Nicolas Cage is just good always, yeah, and always does the right thing, and all the bad guys are basically just bad guys. Danny Trejo, that's his name. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's it's not thought for thought provoking in any way. No. I don't even think there's like a semblance of a story or a lesson to learn throughout it. 
and wonderfully, <sighs> one last thing I'll say about Conair, and then we can move to wrap it up and choose a winner in that, is mm. uh, uh, the last few scenes in Vegas where they smash things up. That was a real casino, right? That was due to be mm-hmm. demolished, and they managed to convince the people who were. Uh, Whoa! They convinced the owners to delay the demolition by a couple of weeks so they could like do the film and <sighs> film those things. So they were able to actually smash things up. Like obviously they did it in it's... as safe a way as possible and all that stuff. But yeah, of course. Yeah. But the building was set to be demolished like a couple of days after they finished filming. So they were fine to just smash it up. It's amazing, isn't it? That is absolutely amazing. What a incredible like like you you could only dream of that. Yeah. Right? Like it, it, when you're when you set out to make this movie, you're like god, if only we could have an actual casino at the height at the climax of our fucking movie yeah. have an actual casino to blow up that's that's fucking outstanding amazing. good on him but which wins this is a tricky one because i've got yep. the thing is i think conair's the better film but i think face off is the better cage performance Ooh. That, and i agree with you i i didn't think about it until you said it but you're right i think his performance in face off is super good yeah like really good and in con air he's like he's basically the audience yeah like, i mean he's he's good he does a good turn but mm. i don't know so if we're going and we, we're kind of judging these films based on nicholas cage rather than the films themselves like a film can be absolute dog shit so long as cage is doing a great job then it wins yeah, so long as he's doing good in it right we love it so whilst i i i hugely prefer conair massively prefer conair i'm leaning these are my cards on the table we don't have to go with this yet obviously but i'm sure, leaning sure. towards face-off winning based on cage's performance alone oh Okay, so I, I really got to dig deep for this one because it's this is going to be a pretty hard decision because yeah. as as everyone knows, Con Air, it's like the best. It's one of my favorite movies even outside of Nicolas Cage yeah. like, as a parameter. And I, unfortunately, I really do think I have to agree. Not because we need to end the podcast at some point <laughs> in time and I don't want to argue with you. I truly think you are correct because it, yes, Conair, I think it's so good. I could watch Conair so many times and I love it. Point A to point B. But I think you're right. Like I remember Cage in Face Off so much more. Everything he had to go through, plus the effort, right? Like we're not even calculating the effort of acting he had to put into this film. And he did a good job about it. And he's very memorable. Just that silly and, scene uh, right at the start where he's dressed up as the vicar and the choir are singing. Mm-hmm. And he just oh God, yeah. grabs the lady's bottom and just goes, ah, yeah. and does the most Cage face there's ever yes. been. The face mm. of Cage yeah. right there. And, uh, yeah, I have to agree. I, I think we do have to give it to face-off. In which case, Conair, we're sorry. We're sorry that less deserving films have gone through, Conair. We're sorry, but them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. But face-off, congratulations. The first rule of face-off is... <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch your face yeah don't, don't no t- touch your face t- you're supposed to touch face touch your face you mucky pup <laughs> um 
yeah, there we go. Um, Face Off has done it. Face Off has gone through. Beautiful. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few people listening quite angry at the moment. I bet some people are very surprised. Hey, tell us, right? If you're really angry, or if you agree, if, if you've got a strong opinion, and if you've listened to any of these episodes, we assume you've got an opinion... Let us know what it is on, um, uh, I don't know, Instagram or Twitters. I haven't been on Twitter in months, so you could be already doing that. Oh, yeah. I doubt it, but you might be. Or on Instagram or wh- wherever you wherever you chat. Tell us what you reckon, because I want a fight. I want an argument about this. I want you to give yeah. your opinion. Dis- disagree strongly. I think this is the most pivotal moment. One One of the most pivotal moments in the cast, right? Like is this one like this is the uh two universes are splitting yeah sort of moment you know one one universe we picked face off one universe we picked conair like it's definitely one of those situations definitely it 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 is this is this feels big and i want people's big opinions about the big thing that we've bigly done as long as you don't have a face yeah we want you to take or you have Someone else's face. We want to take your face off your face. Really quickly, do you think, like, John Travolta's wife in the movie, like, like, he definitely, like, didn't have the same penis, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, she couldn't show. I I, I don't, I don't know, like, would it have been, like, maybe. Do they just have similar dicks? I think, I think their dicks were exactly the same. Like, because is that what the movie's telling us that size truly doesn't matter? No, no, no. It's saying size does matter, but in this instance, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage's peni are identical in length, girth, color, and uh, <laughs> texture. Texture, speed at which erection is maintained. And yeah, you gotta imagine they fuck different, right? Well, what uh, what well, you imagine? Caster is better than John Travolta. Yeah, of course. Yeah, get out of here. Definitely better. Because also that that wife, right? That that wife, that bloody woman, <laughs> when she gets her real husband back, she's gonna be like, Well, I'm happy, but you know, would you mind doing this yeah. thing? What thing that's interesting. You've never <laughs> you've never mentioned an interest in that before. Well it's what you did like <laughs> what I did last week, did I? I was uh face get your faces off. Yeah. Dick off. Dick off, face off. Yeah. Spunky spunky <laughs> off. Right right up your enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, thank you for uh, Thomas. Have you got anything going on that you want to tell the good people about? Any promo? I, what I have going on, honestly, it's none of your business. Ah, fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. It's none of their business. No, no, you're fine. Them, it's none of their business. <laughs> All my stuff to be is your business. Frank, you should definitely listen. Bible. Oh, I've got to record another episode. Bible soon because I think. Mm. It, um, I think I've run out. So I've, uh, I've I've almost finished Old Testament as well. God, we're we're oh, racing through that bad boy. And um, it turns out in the UK religion and spirituality iTunes charts, I am number eighty-seven. 
Oh, nice. Top 100. Yeah, top 100. I think there Fuck are yeah. only like 87 in that category. But uh, I mean, we didn't have to bring that up. But, <laughs> but still counts. Still counts. Top 100, counts. baby. Top 100. Woo. All right, people. Go uh, tell the world about us. Um, like, comment, and subscribe, please. And do all of that stuff. We want to be successful. Let us be successful. Because we want to um, be better than the other podcasts. All those plans that we've mentioned mm. over the previous episodes, we can't do any of them without your help. I mean, we could, mm, exactly. but it would be a waste of everyone's time. But yeah, <laughs> have a lovely time, people. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? <laughs>